Chapter 6 of Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Rufus and Rose, or The Fortunes of Rough and Ready, by Horatio Alger, Jr. Chapter 6 A New Home At an early hour the next morning, Miss Manning, accompanied by Rufus and Rose, ascended Mrs. Clayton's steps and rang the bell. The summons was answered directly by a servant. "'Is Mrs. Clayton at home?' inquired Miss Manning. "'Yes.' "'You're Mrs. Coleman's new governess, ain't you?' "'I am, but I would like to see Mrs. Clayton first. "'Come in, and I'll call her.' The three remained standing in the hall, awaiting the appearance of the landlady. Rufus surveyed the interior of the house, so far as he could see it, with evident approval. Not that the house compared with the homes of many of my young readers who are favoured by fortune. It was not magnificent, but it was neat and well furnished, and looked bright and cheerful. To Rufus it appeared even elegant. He had a glimpse of the parlour through the half-opened door, and it certainly was so, compared with the humble boarding-house in Franklin Street, not to mention the miserable old tenement house on Leonard Street, which the readers of Rough and Ready will easily remember. "'I say, Miss Manning, this is jolly,' said Rufus, in a tone of satisfaction. "'Isn't it a nice house, Rufy?' said little Rose. "'Yes, it is, Rosie. And Rough and Ready, to call him for once by his old name, felt happy in the thought that his little sister, whose life thus far had been passed in a miserable quarter of the city, would now be so much more favourably situated. At this moment, Mrs. Clayton made her appearance. "'Good morning, Miss Manning,' she said cordially. "'I am sorry the servant left you standing in the hall. "'Good morning, my dear,' addressing Rose. "'Is this young man your brother?' "'He is my brother,' said Rose. "'But he isn't a young man. He's a boy,' Rufus smiled. "'Maybe I'll be a young man in twenty or thirty years,' he said. "'Miss Manning tells me,' he continued, "'that you have a small room which you will let for five dollars a week with board.' "'Yes,' said the landlady. "'My price has always been five and a half, "'but as your sister would like to have you here, I will say five to you.' Can I look at it? Yes, I will go up and show it to you at once. They followed Mrs. Clayton up two flights of stairs. The door of the vacant room was already open. It was a hall bedroom of ordinary size. The head of the bed was on the same side as the door, the room being just wide enough for it. Between the foot of the bed and the window but on the opposite side was a bureau with a mirror. There were a washstand and a couple of chairs beside it. 
a neat carpet covered the floor, and the window was screened by a shade. "'You see it is pretty good size for a hall bedroom,' said the landlady. "'There is no closet, but you can hang your clothes on that row of pegs. "'If there are not enough, I will have some more put in.' "'I think there will be enough,' said Rufus, thinking, as he spoke, of his limited wardrobe. He was not much better off than the man who carried all his clothes on his back, and so proclaimed himself independent of trunk-makers. "'Well, Rufus, what do you think of the room?' asked Miss Manning. "'I'll take it,' said our hero promptly. He had been on the point of calling it bully when it occurred to him that perhaps such a word might not be the most appropriate under the circumstances. "'When will you come, Mr...?' Here the landlady hesitated, not having been made acquainted with the last name of our new boarder. Here it occurs to me that, as yet, our hero has not been introduced by his full name, although this is the second volume of his adventures. It is quite time that this neglect was remedied. Rushton, said Rufus. When will you take possession of the room, Mr. Rushton? I'll be here tonight to dinner, said Rufus. Maybe I won't send my trunk round till tomorrow. I didn't know you had a trunk, Rufy, said Rose innocently. I don't carry my trunk round all the time like an elephant, Rosie, said her brother, a little embarrassed by his sister's revelation, for he wanted to keep up appearances in his new character as a boarder at an uptown boarding-house. Rufus, wouldn't you like to go up and see my room? interposed Miss Manning. It's on the next floor, but, though rather high up, I think you will like it. This opportune interruption prevented Rose from making any further reference to the trunk. So they proceeded upstairs. Though Mr. Coleman had not yet sent in the additional furniture promised by his wife, the room was looking bright and pleasant. The carpet had a rich, warm tint, and everything looked, as the saying is, as neat as a pin. This is to be my room, said Miss Manning, with satisfaction, my room and Rosie's. I hope you will often come up to visit us. How do you like it? Bully, said Rufus, admiringly, unconsciously pronouncing the forbidden word. I think we shall be very comfortable here, said Miss Manning. Here a child's step was heard upon the stairs, and Jenny Coleman entered. Mamma would like to see you downstairs, Miss Manning, she said. Good morning, my dear, said her new governess. Rufus, this is one of my pupils. Is that your husband, Miss Manning? asked Jenny, surveying Rufus with attention. Rufus laughed, and Miss Manning also. He would be rather a young husband for me, Jenny, she said. He is more suitable for you. I am not old enough to be married yet, she answered gravely. But perhaps I will marry him sometime. I like his looks. Rufus blushed a little, not being in the habit of receiving compliments from young ladies. Have you got that doll for me, Jenny? asked Rose, introducing the subject which had the greatest interest for her. Yes. I've got it downstairs, in Mamma's room. They went down, and at the door of Mrs. Coleman's room, Miss Manning said, 
Won't you come in, Rufus? I will introduce you to Mrs. Coleman. Yes, come in, said Jenny, taking his hand. But Rufus declined, feeling bashful about being introduced. It's time for me to go to the office, he said. Some other time will do. You'll be here in time for dinner, Rufus. Yes, said our hero, and putting on his hat, he made his escape, feeling considerably relieved when he was fairly in the open air. I suppose I'll get used to it after a while, he said to himself. I am glad you have come, Miss Manning, said Mrs. Coleman, extending her hand. You will be able to relieve me of a great deal of my care. The children are good, but full of spirits, and when I have one of my nervous headaches, the noise goes through my head like a knife. I hope you won't find them a great deal of trouble. I don't anticipate that, said the new governess, cheerfully. I am fond of children. Do you ever have the headache? Very seldom. Then you are lucky. Children are a great trial at such a time. Have you the headache this morning, Mrs. Coleman? asked Miss Manning in a tone of sympathy. Not badly, but I am seldom wholly free from it. Now suppose we talk a little of our plans. It is time the children were beginning to learn to read. Can your little girl read? A little, not very much. I suppose it will be better not to require them to study more than an hour or two a day, just at first. The rest of the time you can look after them. I am afraid you will find it quite an undertaking. I am not afraid of that, said Miss Manning cheerfully. The children have no books to study from. Perhaps you had better take them out for a walk now, and stop on your way at some Broadway booksellers, and get such books as you think they will need. Very well. Are we going out to walk? said Jenny. I shall like that. And I too, said Carrie. I hope you won't give Miss Manning any trouble, said their mother. Here is some money to pay for the books. And she handed the new governess a five-dollar bill. The children were soon ready, and their new governess went on with them. She congratulated herself on the change in her mode of life. When solely dependent on her labours as a seamstress, she had been compelled to sit hour after hour, from early morning until evening, sewing steadily, and then only earned enough to keep soul and body together. What wonder if she became thin and her cheek grew pale, losing the rosy tint which it wore when, as a girl, she lived among the hills of New England. Better times had come to her at length. She would probably be expected to spend considerable time daily out of doors, as her pupils were too young to study much or long at a time. It was a blessed freedom, so she felt, and she was sure that she should enjoy the society of the two little girls, having a natural love for children. She did not expect to like them as well as Rose, for Rose seemed partly her own child, but she didn't doubt that she should ere long become attached to them. Then again, she would not only enjoy an agreeable home, but for the first time would receive such compensation for her services as to be quite at ease in her pecuniary circumstances. Five dollars a week might not be a large sum to a lady with expensive tastes, but Miss Manning, 
had the art of appearing well-dressed for a small sum, and, as she made her own clothes, she estimated that three dollars a week would clothe both, and enable her to save two dollars weekly, or a hundred dollars a year. This was indeed a bright prospect to one who had been engaged in a hand-to-hand -hand struggle with poverty for the last five years. She went into a Broadway bookstore and purchased primers for her new pupils, and a more advanced reading book for Rose. At the end of an hour they returned home. They found an express wagon at the door. Two men were lifting out a sofa and a rocking chair. "'They are for your room, Miss Manning,' said Jenny. "'I heard Ma tell Pa this morning to stop at a furniture place and buy them. "'Mr. Coleman had certainly been prompt, for, though it was still early, here they were. "'When they were carried upstairs and placed in her room, "'Miss Manning looked about her with pardonable pride and satisfaction. "'Though the room was on the fourth floor,' It looked quite like a parlour. She felt that she should take great comfort in so neat and pleasant a room. It was a great contrast to her dull, solitary, laborious life in the shabby room, for which, poor as it was, she oftentimes found it difficult to provide the weekly rent. There were no lessons that morning, for Miss Manning had her trunk to unpack, and Rose's clothes and her own to lay away in the bureau drawers. She had about completed this work when the bell rang for lunch. Taking Rose by the hand, she led her downstairs to the basement, where, as is common in New York boarding houses, the dining room was situated. There were five ladies and children at the table, the gentlemen being obliged, on account of the distance, to take their lunch downtown, somewhere near their places of business. "'You may take this seat, Miss Manning,' said the landlady, indicating one near herself. "'Your little girl can sit between us, and Jenny and Carrie on the other side. I will trouble you to take care of them. Their mother seldom comes down to lunch.' The repast was plain, but plentiful. The principal meal, dinner, being at six an hour more convenient for men of business. I state this for the benefit of those of my readers who live in the country and are accustomed to take dinner in the middle of the day. Miss Manning was introduced to Mrs. Pratt, a stout, elderly lady with a pleasant face who sat opposite her. To Mrs. Florence, a young lady recently married who sat at her left, and to Mrs. Clifton, formerly Miss Peyton, who, as well as her husband, will be remembered by the readers of the second and third volumes of this series. Mr. Clifton kept a dry-goods store on 8th Avenue. In the afternoon, Miss Manning gave her first lesson, and succeeded in interesting her young pupils, who proved quite docile, and seemed to have taken a fancy to their new governess. Meanwhile, Rufus had succeeded in making an arrangement which promised to add to his weekly income. Of this, an account will be given in the next chapter. End of chapter 6 Recording by David Granville Young